What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. TV, comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes, an evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like the show and think we deserve a five-star rating, and obviously we do... Rate us and post a review. Also, although our main purpose in life is to entertain you, producing this show costs actual money. So please help out by going to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried and pledging your support to receive all sorts of goodies, merchandise, personalized roast. And shout-outs, advanced access to episodes, or personal messages from me, Gilbert Gottfried. And if we raise enough, maybe I can finally get a new co-host. I'm thinking of the Scarlett Johansson robot. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santopadre. Our special guest this week is a much-admired actress, producer, and director who's been nominated for four Oscars and seven Emmys, winning three times. She starred in such popular films such as Detective Story, Valley of the Dolls, In the Heat of the Night, Plaza Suite, The Landlord, Defending Your Life, Mulholland Drive, and Shampoo, for which she won the Academy Award as 
Best Supporting Actress. Memorable TV roles include The Fugitive, The Defenders, The Big Valley, Mission Impossible, Great Performances, Columbo, and Peyton Place. In the Emmy-winning role of Femme Fatale, Stella Chernak. (laughs) Chernak. Stella Chernak. Stella Chernak. Thank you, Lee. (laughs) Wait till I introduce you before you start correcting me. (laughs) Don't make me look like a schmuck on my own show. She's also an award-winning director of features and documentaries, including the Melvin Douglas drama Tell Me a Riddle, the Emmy-winning TV movie Nobody's Child, and the Oscar-winning documentary Down and Out in America. In a long and distinguished career, she's worked with Kirk Douglas, Sidney Poitier, Julie Andrews, Peter Ustinov, Walter Matthau, George C. Scott, Mike Nichols, Meryl Streep, Henry Fonda, and Warren Beatty, just to name a few. Her 2014 memoir is entitled, I Said Yes to Everything, and we're glad she said yes to this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Please welcome an artist of many talents and a woman who once gave the finger to a network executive on national television, (laughs) the legendary Lee Grant. What a woman. (laughs) Wow. Wow, I'd like to meet her. Hey, do you know, I'm talking about myself here, when I was a kid, me and my two older sisters, Arlene and Karen, you could still get bargain tickets on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And, and we saw uh, Prisoner of Second Avenue oh. with you and Peter Falk. Yes. Yeah. Mike Nichols directing, Neil Simon writing. It was two-character play. You know, it was a big, big, big deal for me. And what was Peter Falk like to work with? Well, you know, it, it's so interesting when you were mentioning all of these things. I was in, I, I was in, on Broadway yesterday or the day before, and this uh, walking the dog, you know, our dog that yes. barks in the background. Bella, and they were, the dog Bella, Bella Fioretti, and uh, and so there were uh, two women on Broadway, and one said to me, uh, uh, "Did you know the Gabors?" Ava Gabor and Shaja Gabor, a woman with a dog. And I said, no, she says, you, you look like someone. You, you look like, uh, like one of the Gabors. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know who you were. No, but yeah. she thought I looked familiar. And I said, well, you know, I was an actress. And she said, well, well, well what did you, what did you, uh, what's your name? And I said, Lee Grant. And she said, Columbo, Peyton oh, Place. Wow. I mean, she didn't go <laughs> anything. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's where everybody goes. I was sitting next to somebody in the theater, and they said, 
Stella Chernak, <laughs> you know, from Peyton, Peyton Place, Place, right? Which so, was like forty years ago, you know. But that's the kind of you know memory pocket that people go to, like when they were kids, you know, watching TV and um, and and well, you know, you mentioned any of the people who were like huge stars that I was with, like even Warren, or or you know. People who were great stars. Nobody knows them today. That's a, sh- a shame. Yeah. That's why we do this show, to keep those memories yeah, alive. But nobody, yeah. n- they're not current. Everybody no. is like, you have to be current on television, a talking head, or you're a lost memory. Ah, good what? title for the oh. next book. <laughs> yeah, good title for the next book. Now, how old were you when you were first on stage? Well, I was I was like four when I was at on the on the stage at the Metropolitan Opera House because I was taken there, you know, by my mother for dance lessons. And they needed a Chinese prince and you you could see I still look like one. So. <laughs> Your mother wanted you to be a ballerina, didn't she? She wanted me to be anything <laughs> Right. Anything including a rich wife um, that would elevate me from um, her her Odessa Russia background, you know anything. Mm-hmm. So, but it was all in the dreams. It was all in the movies. It mm-hmm. was all in the black and white films, you know, of of the rich rustling ladies. And you know. your parents were. Uh, two Russian Jews, the Rosenthal's. No, no, my father was a Polish yeah, Jew. Polish Jew. And uh, my mother was a, a Russian Jew. Yes. And you said that they so worshipped the old movies that they started to act like the uh, actors in the talkies. Oh, Mom and Aunt Fremo? My yes. my yeah. my mom and and her her sister yes. Fremo. There's a there's an oil painting right around the corner that Fremo did, and, yes. you'll, and you'll see. They were they had completely fantasy lives, <laughs> and and they talked to each other like the women in the movies do. They talked like this, and they talk. Fremo, yes, dear. <laughs> Uh, listen to Yova, which is my name in, in Russian. Yova, nobody could say it. Listen to Yova sing. Oh, oh my God, I'm fainting. And they, you know, they like had Parker these Dumont. Mom- <laughs> they spoke like like they spoke like yeah. that. All. And so did I. When I went to the neighborhood playhouse, they did a recording of my voice, and there I was saying, "Yes, my name is Yova Haskell Rosenthal." And, and I thought, who is that? And it was me echoing their bird voices, you know. And so the speech teacher there got me lower and lower and lower talking in my chest. And, and that's when I realized that you echo mm-hmm. the, the, of course. the people around you. Tell us about the local theaters, too, because it's in the book. What? The Dorset Theater and the RKO Hamilton that you used to go to movies. Because you're a New Yorker. I'm a New Yorker. Upper West Side. And you know Dinah, my daughter, Dinah Manoff. Dinah Manoff, the actress. Dinah sure. Manoff came in a couple of weeks ago, and I said, Dinah, I want to go back to 148th Street. I just, I want to see the brownstone that my grandmother had there. You know, I just wish I could ring the bell 
and go in and see all those floors because I loved the brownstone so much. And so Dinah and I took a cab up to 148th Street, and the brownstone was knocked down. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. And, and so it was no more, you know. And I'm sure the movie theaters are gone, too. Well, the movie theaters are gone, yeah. too. But, but that was our realm. And I never had anybody go with me across a street. You know, there was the drive. There was Broadway. We lived between Riverside Drive and Broadway. But a kid walked up and just walked over to 145th Street, went to the 5 and 10, went to the Dorset around the corner, went to the RKO Hamilton. Used to see Errol Flynn movies. Yes. Yeah. And nobody had to go with you. You you just were free to just walk up and down the drive in Broadway, and there was no threat. There was no fear. You could do anything. And what was your the play that really made you, where they discovered you? Detective story. Yeah. And so they then wanted you to do the movie... Yes. With Kirk Douglas. Yeah, they, they had me and two other actors from the play in the movie. Joe Wiseman. Oh, you Mike love Stroll. Joseph Wiseman. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he became Dr. No in yes. the James yes. Bond series. Yeah. yeah, the only Jewish Bond villain. <laughs> Is that true? The only I Jewish so. Bond villain? Uh, Joseph Wiseman. Yep. <laughs> I lo- I'm a big fan of his. Mine, I am too. And so they, they had you in the movie, mm-hmm. and you everyone was talking about you yes. in that movie. And I think you were nominated. I was or- nominated, and I was given the Best Actress Award in Cannes yeah. in 1952. So here you are, and I think you were 24 at the time. So this is like your career is exploding. And then what happens then? Well, I left Detective Story, which was a huge hit. Kirk Douglas, William Wyler. No, no, no. Oh, you're talking about the play play with Ralph Bellamy. Yep. I left to do an obscure play from, from... people from Hollywood who had been blacklisted. I didn't know what the word was. I didn't know anything political. And I was very attracted to the director, John Barry. And so I did this play which was like lasted two weeks on Broadway and was a huge flop. But I met uh, an actor, J. Edward Bromberg, who yes. you remember for movies. Mm-hmm. Sure. In, in fact, for our fans out, for fellow Lon Chaney Jr. fans. Oh, he's in Son of Dracula. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Professor Lazio. Yes. Boy. Well, he had a, he had a, he had a good career as a character. Boy, actor. oh, oh yeah. yes. Yeah, he was in a lot of stuff. Yes. He had a I bunch mean, of He things, started with but, the group theater. Yeah, yeah. He was a method yes. actor, you know. And. Um, and so he was so nervous. He was so nervous all the time. And I said, what's the matter with you? And he said, I'm being called up in front of the Un-American Activities Committee, and I'm afraid I'm going to have a heart attack. You know, I've had a heart attack before. And he went to London to open in a play, and sure enough, um, he died there. And so I was asked, as a young actor, to speak at his memorial at uh, the Edison Hotel. And I said, 
you know, he, he always said how frightened he was of appearing before the Un-American Activities Committee and that it would kill him. And obviously, this is what had happened to him. And the next day, I was blacklisted. So, I mean, it went from, you know, one condition one day to another condition the next day. And, and how did you find out you were blacklisted? I, I went to an equity meeting, Actors' Equity. And, um, and the person in front of me turned around and said, you know, he was carrying a, a book that listed the names. Red Channels. Yeah, Red yeah. Channels. And it had my name in it. So, uh, it, I mean, that, that was it. And, and you weren't even a political person, you not, say in the book. No. Yeah. I learned to be, though. Mm -hmm. I, I became, because of those 12 years of being blacklisted and having a family of new friends who I loved and respected and had so much admiration for, um, that that was the place where I wanted to be. I wanted to be on their side. I didn't want to be on the side of, of Joe McCarthy. Sure. And so it was, it was my college. It was my education. It was, it was the best kind of college that anybody could have. The Hollywood as, Ten as members, uh, 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 Ring Lardner and Trumbull, uh, and those people became yes, friends, didn't absolutely. they? Absolutely, they they were my friends, and and we lived in, in uh, on Central Park West in a building four 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 Central Park West, and it was filled with all the blacklisted people on the first floor. I was on the seventh floor, and my new husband, uh, I was his fourth wife. Um, uh, <laughs> that should have been a sign. I know. I know. So, yeah, it didn't all work out too well. But um, was it Edward Dimitrik who who, who, na named, who named who named Arnie? Yeah, yeah. your husband. Yeah, yeah, the famous and director. So he was already named Edward Dimitrik. Arnie was already yeah. named. Yeah. When he came to New York, oh, Arnie Manoff, your husband, yeah. Arnie was, a, Manoff right, was a writer. Was was already named, yeah. But the one who named him, and he wrote he, the play, right? That I left detective story, right? Right? For. right. Oh, yeah. And so you, but you were doing like um, plays throughout the blacklist. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. You were still able and to teaching. do theater. I was teaching at Herbert Berghoff's to make money, to make a living. And he had been one of my teachers when I was at the Neighborhood Playhouse when I was 16, 17. So, I mean, he and Uta Hagen kind of opened up their doors to say, you know, you can teach here, you can make a living here between plays, and, and they were just great. Well, Uta Hagen was blacklisted longer than I was because she had an affair with Paul Robeson, you know. You know, it yeah. was, it was I, you know, the thing about that period and talking about it is the insanity. And the insanity of Joe McCarthy, if you remember. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the off with their heads, the communists, 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 everybody's a communist, going to whatever teachers, uh, 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 coal miners, 
whatever they did. Mm-hmm. There were communists there that you know that were un-American, and 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 his lawyer was um, Roy Cohen. Was Roy Cohen? Yeah. His lawyer was Roy Cohen. Now that happens to be the same Roy Cohen who was Trump's lawyer, Donald Trump's lawyer. <laughs> Everything old is new again. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's such an interesting... I woke up this morning so raging that Donald Trump is actually popular enough. <laughs> popular it's a scary enough. state of affairs. Like- no, but I mean, I mean with, with my background of being old enough to have been through the blacklist period... And to be through Joe McCarthy with disgusting, awful Roy Cohen as his lawyer, to have see Roy Cohen be Donald Trump's lawyer and advisor for the early part of his life, and see Trump with that same yeah, crooked, crooked Hillary, crooked, and and you know, there's my there's my African American, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the insanity yeah, of yeah. it, and entering into the same kind of insanity that I went through when I was twenty four till I was thirty six. And, and which is the 12 fucking, you can take that out. Yeah, no, no, we, we 12 use it. 12 fucking me. years. You can say anything you want. That, that I couldn't work as an actress. Yeah, prime, yeah. prime years and, for an actress. And it's like, My, yes, yeah. I mean, it's so crazy. An actress, you hit 27 and you're playing you're Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I lied about my age. I mean, I have it in the book. You know, it, like it was the grail. Like it yeah. was, you know, nobody should know because I'll stop working. Nobody should know that, that I'm past 30 because I'll stop working. Oh, somebody said my birthday is coming up on the radio. Oh, quick, call the press agent. Oh, listen on the radio. They, they could say my age. Oh, please. You know, I was so frantic. And, and as R- Roberta knows, you, you know, I had to get a, a passport to go some. I went down to the... And this was while I was doing documentaries. Yeah. I went down to beg. Went down to beg for them to please change my age on the passport. <laughs> and did, they, did, didn't they do it? No. Oh, oh, did, oh did, you, no. did you once go to the mayor? Yeah, that's what I was, that's what <laughs> yes. I was, that's what I was referring you, to. You went to the mayor, the mayor of, of L.A. Los, I went to the mayor of Los Angeles. <laughs> And I said, they made a mistake on my driver's license. <laughs> Mayor Yorty, Mayor Yorty, yes, I'll, I'll give you a little hug. <laughs> That's funny. So you're willing to do anything. Anything, just anything to keep working. And, and so did the mayor of L.A. Of change your birth? Of course he did. <laughs> Of course he did. Do you even? Well, what, I, what I really went to him for, yeah. because we opened a branch of yeah. the actor studio there, was to get rent-free actor studio forever and ever and ever, and that was the important thing. And he gave it to us, and and that was a in know, West Hollywood. A, yes, yeah. it was a yeah. really critical 
thing, you know, to have an actor's home, a place there where, where you could grow. And We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Now, do you even know your own age now? <laughs> yes, because my damn husband. <laughs> keeps telling me and I, and I and it's so mean and, and, and it, it, well you know, there's a funny story in the book, too, about how little the committee, UAC, knew about show business, how they would confuse, oh, tell yes. Gilbert, the, 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 the word agent confused yeah. them. Oh, they oh, thought, yes. They thought, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I was in a play at the time, and they caught up with me, and they served me, and, and I thought that they would ask me about my husband. I put the testimony in the book so that you could see. And they, they, um, they didn't ask me, but my, my lawyer, Leonard Boudin, whose daughter was another kind of revolutionary and, and, and spent time in jail for it, he said, uh, you have to be sure and back yourself up by taking the fifth. You know, just in case they ask you about Barney or about other people. And so these, these idiots, these morons, were asking me questions about whether Sidney Lumet directed me in something, and, and was he a communist? No, he wasn't. And and uh, did did I have an agent? Uh, yes. Were they were the agents part of agents for the Soviet Union? I said no. They're the William Morris Agency. <laughs> and and you know it, it went on yeah, like they, that. They had no concept of what a communist was and what a communist wasn't, or what you know. It was just just political grandstanding. And, and, you yeah. had a falling out with your husband over that because you didn't really, you are not political, you didn't believe in communism necessarily. And- well, uh, not only that, but I thought that the work coming out of the Soviet Union without knowing what happened later on was just third rate. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, raised the Russian way in the ballet which is still the most important and exciting kind of ballet that you can have. And with Chekhov and Tolstoy being my, to this day, they're the writers that I adore and worship, and suddenly see that nothing was coming out, nobody was writing. And then I heard that, you know, woman poet was put in jail, and this one was sent away to that they were treating their artists uh, the way the Un-American Activities yeah. Committee was treating me. And I couldn't say those things to him because he had a faith. You know, he had a faith in the goodness. And it wasn't until Khrushchev said, you know, Stalin had been, you know, a killer, a murderer, you know, and uh, that... This terrible sadness came over these artists who believed 
that there was a better way, that there was a better life, that there was more equality, not unlike what Bernie has been doing in this election. Okay, now I'm going to talk about Adam and Eve, and that's a store I've been kicked out of several times. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, but go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. When you select one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free mystery gift. What's the mystery gift? I think it's Hamantashi. Fresh Hamantashi. See, you don't realize how sexy. I wish. A delicacy. <laughs> that is. <laughs> and to top it off, they will even throw in free shipping on your entire order. So, go to adamandeve.com and use the code word Gilbert at checkout. That's Gilbert, G I L B. E-R-T at adamandeve.com. Use code Gilbert at adamandeve.com. You'll thank me. So when the blacklist had ended, the, the blacklist ended around your, your lawyer did the committee a favor. That's kind of how you got off the list. The uh, head of the House on american Activities Committee went to this kind of famous lawyer in Washington who took me on for nothing because I had no money. Um, and, and the head of the committee went to him and said, um, will you do me this favor? Because he was very well connected. And he said, I- I'll, do, I'll do the favor if you let Lee Grant off the blacklist. And the guy said, oh, okay. And, that and was I that. got a letter that said I was a good citizen. Now, there was something else Amazing. That during the blacklist that always amazed me, that they, there was some kind of uh, thing they can accuse you of, and that was being pre-anti-fascist. Like, there was like this thing, like I think uh, Charlie Chaplin got in trouble for that, for making fun of Hitler before it was okay to make fun of Hitler. You know, honey... Uh, the, the, it, the, it was there was such insanity. They were such f- fools uh, that you you, you say, But but I mean that's Trump. I mean <laughs> I mean it's coming back. <laughs> but no. But you you put Trump on the Un-American Activities Committee, and that's what the guys are like. You do this. You are. Uh, you're a danger to the. I mean, that's that's exactly when he says crooked Hillary. Smearing people. Yeah. yeah. Crooked yeah. this. Crooked that. Now, okay. Years ago, there was a beautiful movie actress star, uh, Grace Kelly, and and she married a prince, became a princess. Poor baby. And and. <laughs> <laughs> you you looked at this. This was a fairy tale came true. Absolutely. But you knew Grace Kelly. Yeah. Well, 
I, I was approached, you know, at that time, I was just starting to think of directing and just starting to think of this. And a friend of hers said, do you want to direct a documentary on uh, Grace Kelly? I said, sure. And, you know, there we go, traipsing over to Monaco. Um, and... Joey went along, my husband Joey went along with me because the cocaine in Rome was so much better than the cocaine <laughs> oh, Lord. in L.A. That, that, that it didn't make sense to stay there. The piles on the coffee tables... <laughs> So, so um, I was in Monaco by myself, and it was, you know, Grace Kelly, who had gone with my first boyfriend, by the way, Jean, um, and left him to marry Renier, uh, was sitting there so cautious, so careful. What is life like? What... Lovely, it's just lovely. Do you remember working with Clark Gable? Yes, he was lovely. Um, what about uh, this one? Oh, he was so nice. And as the camera, you know, went off, I said, Grace, you are so boring. It's, it's you know, how can you, you know, what are you sitting on? What is, you know, why is... You know, you must have had, you know, exciting adventures and romances and things going on, you know. And she started to cry. And so one of the producers, who was her friend, came over and said, how can you do that? How can you tell her that? And I said, but there's a woman there. There's a, there's a person there who is completely being covered over. And so she said to me, I am so miserable. You know, the people here, the Monacans or whatever you call them, the, the royalty here from Monaco are so mean. The women are so mean. And I, you know, except for friends who come over and, and visit my American girlfriends, you know, it's just like I'm being watched all the time and, and everything I say is being... You know, and she said, and Prince Renier wants me to take one of the girls to go to Paris uh, for her education. Next year, I really, I wish I could go back to, to New York. And I said, well, Paris, you know, at least in Paris, there's joie de vivre, you know. And she says, no, all they want is for me to appear with the, you know, with the a, ribbon. With a royal yeah. thing across the my sash. chest, the yeah. sash across yeah. my chest. Nobody in Paris invites you for dinner. Nobody. And and it was something that David Susskind once brought up with with uh, somebody who was French on his show to say, how come you you people don't ask anybody to dinner? You know, you know what's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, it, it's a very it, how closed Parisian homes. Are. Interesting and not welcoming, really, and and so it was, you know, such an interesting kind of opening on her life to me to have the fairy tale life yeah. that every girl in America, oh, if I 
could only be the queen of Monaco. You know, and the whole she, world looked yes, at her the like whole that. World, and and she was just like a bird in a cage. Interesting. And she couldn't act. You know, I think she did one film uh, from Monaco. And you think she missed acting? You think oh, she missed her? You I think she missed know. her old life? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the kids all seemed so troubled. You know, they all had. Well, there were a lot of troubles. Yeah. With those children. So that was her fairy tale life. Yes, that was her fairy tale life. What was the big break, Lee, coming off the blacklist? Was it Peyton Place, the thing that really kind of put you back in the actually in the mainstream? Actually, you were working sporadically in television too. I, I wasn't working sporadically. Once I had, once I had that letter mm-hmm. saying that that I was clean. All of these producers who had been sitting, waiting for me to get the okay, just were like, there, work for me, no work for me, no work for me, no, London's calling, come on over here and do a show here. I mean, they, they couldn't make up for enough time mm-hmm. to give me the work that they had been wanting to give me the David Susskinds and all of those producers there couldn't wait to get me on after, television. After 12 years. After 12 yeah, years. Yeah. And, 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 and then I was um, in, in the park. I was uh, doing Electra in the park uh, for Joe Papp, and, which was a big, big deal because this was coming back to the theater in a huge way. A lecture was amazing, and and um, and I got this call from Peyton Place, and my agent just took it. I had another play to do for Joe Pat. She she said you you have to take it. You've got a daughter. Dinah was eight years old. What's uh, your dog Bela? <laughs> in, in case our listen. Is that my dog, Bella? In, yeah, Bella. In, in case our listeners haven't figured it out, we're at Lee's home. We're, at Lee's <laughs> we're not in the studio today. And is, is she, is she kind of sitting on the around. welcoming? Oh, yes. Yeah. Because my sister-in-law, Phyllis, is home. Yeah, I think somebody, ha- somebody came in. And my grandkids. So, so, I mean, I went from, you know, from not being able to work for all those years, except on, on Broadway, uh, to, like, People just like climbing over themselves to make up for what I'd lost in the past. And it was so moving and so generous. And you were pretty driven, too, as you say in the book. You really wanted to, to make up for that lost time. and you, you. I had no idea. I had no idea how driven I was. I had, I had my face done uh, because the first... Um, offer of work I had was while I was still married and I got an offer to do a play it was a 26 year old ingenue and I was probably 33 at the time and I I was a worn out 33 I mean the, the, the marriage wasn't working the, I was up it's upstate with three kids but Dinah was just like two at the time and I called my husband, who was having an affair in New York, 
and I said, I got an offer for a play. First work I'd been offered in like two years. And he said, if you take it, we're through. And, you know, I looked at myself in the mirror. And I thought, I am through. You know, I'm, I'm sweating in this hot peak skill little house with three kids. Got my first offer for a play, even, in, you know, two years. And my husband's, you know, walking out on me and having an affair anyway. And I called Walter Bernstein, who had written The Front. Sure, I don't know Walter anything. Bernstein, yeah. Black, Walter another Bernstein, blacklisted writer. Who, who, who was, you know, like my husband's best friend. And I said, Walter, help me. I mean, I'm not being offered anything anymore. And this is, you know, a chance to just, you know, revive something. And he called Arnie, and Arnie said, no, I mean it. If she takes it, we're through. And so I went and had my face done and became 26. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. It really was because it was too much for me at that point. You know, uh, everything I'd loved and worked for was gone, and I was living with a man who really didn't like me. And when that happens day after day after day, when you're living with someone who is critical of you, you start to spin out. You know what I mean? Um, I was I was not in a good place, and that play saved me. What was the play? It was Roberta. Oh, Captains and Kings. Right. It's in the book. You talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was about, it was about um, Eddie, Eddie Rickenbacker, was it? Oh, the pilot. <laughs> yes, it yeah. was about Rickenbacker. And it was an all-male cast, including some actors, old actors, who were very pro-blacklist. And I was the only woman in it. I was kind of the secretary for all these naval old men. And in the second act, I get to stand up and say, Eddie Rickenbacker's right. Why don't you listen to him? And that's it. (laughs) That was it. That was your line. (laughs) Not... And by the time I came to New York, by the way, I thought I was in the best play in the world, which is that funny thing that actors, you know, do. You know, they say it's a piece of shit, and then you go into it and you say, I believe in it, you know. (laughs) Now, we were talking, and we had to stop because we weren't on on mic. Uh, Tell us the title of your book. I said yes to everything. A terrific read, by the way. Came out in 2014, right? Yes. Great memoir, full of good stories. What does this mean? Well, um, you know, around the time of the 20s, uh, Aeneas Nien had uh, friends who were like these, you know, up all night, drink champagne. And one of them, it, it may have been Zelda, it may not. Her advice to women was say yes to everything. And it it hit a thing in me, say yes to everything. And then I thought, I have said yes to everything. 
one of the reasons why I'm here is because whatever came along, I never saw the dangers. I never saw that there could be uh, any, uh, what is the word? A pitfall or downside? Pitfall or downside. I mean, all I saw was the thing right ahead of me. I, I, I didn't see what could hurt me. And so anything that came along, I said yes to. And um, and it was a, a kind of truth I recognized about myself, and I still have it. I still put myself in danger all the time. Uh, like by agreeing to this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a double, I got a double but take out of Lee Grant. I'm yeah, so proud. No, I, d- I mean, yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly, and, and I didn't know you were showing up. Yes. So that, <laughs> these are holograms, and, Lee. We're and, not really here. I just want to tell every woman out there, if you see me, say yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible advice for women. Let, let's talk about you starting to work, uh, really get busy. In, in around 1967, it was a big year for you. In the heat of the night. Honey, if you think I remember what year. Well, I have it on a card. <laughs> <laughs> and and I got to ask you, because I think Rod Steiger's name has come up on every oh, other Oh, we show, talk about him all the time. So what was Rod Steiger like to work with? Oh, you know, I, I, th- there are geniuses that you work with. There are geniuses, you know, and Rod Steiger is one of them. I mean, there's a there's a thing that I see when whenever I see Heat of the Night, where where um, Sydney slaps this, this oh yes. this Southern sure. man, this old Southern man, slaps Sydney. Sydney slaps him back, and the old Southern man turns to Rod and he says, "Did you see that?" And Rod says, "I saw it," and it's like, you know. It had everything of that Southern mentality of being a part of the old man, but seeing that kind of of beautiful rage from mm-hmm. Sydney that said, "I can't believe it, but I saw it, and that's a new world." You, you know, and he won the the Oscar for right, it, sure, too. sure. He was. It was just astonishing. In '67, just to just to, since you don't remember the dates, you did a, a divorce American style, the Bud Yorkin movie. Yes, with Dick, with Dick on Van Dyke. the way on the way to do Heat of the Night. Oh, right. It was it was a day on the set. Uh, you know, they gave me a lot of work too. Nobody ever discussed my past with me. You know. But you know the kind of work that Bud York and and, and Norman Lear did. Oh, sure, did. big fans. I, yes, and yeah. and and their positions too. I mean, they're great progressive people, and so you know they were always falling over themselves to put me in whatever they were doing. And you did Valley of the Dolls, too. <laughs> so that was a big comeback. And didn't that have like something like a fiftieth anniversary? Yes, just recently. Yeah. Yeah, and and now in Valley of the Dolls was uh, Sharon Tate, who yeah. was for people who don't know the wife of Roman Polanski, who was 
one of the victims of uh, the Manson killings. Yeah, yeah. And all my scenes were with, with Sharon. All of my scenes were either with the actor who played my brother or with Sharon who played his wife in the film. Well, you know, it, Sharon was wonderful in that film. I thought she was the best thing in it. And, and she was pregnant at the time. And I keep in touch with her sister. Her sister sent a, a, a book that she made of photographs of Sharon of, to put in your living room, to put on your coffee table so that she would never be forgotten. And, you know, her sweetness, her beauty, her vulnerability. Um, it, uh, well, it's a tragedy. It's, Trivers, yeah, yeah, I mean... So on that film, on... on uh, uh, not you on know, Valley of it's Dolph. interesting, because uh, I did a documentary and about women in prison. It was mm -hmm. the first documentary I did for HBO. And one of the prisons I went to was in California, where, um, who was the uh, Manson girl? Is it Van Houten? Leslie Van Houten? Was it Leslie Van Houten, Roberta? Do you know? There are a few of them. Yeah, she's the one that keeps coming up for squeaky, parole. Squeaky frog. Well, she wasn't involved in the Manson killings. Well, she was. Yeah, yes, she was. The, was, was she? Was she? Was, I don't think she was one of the... Maybe, it was Patricia, maybe not. Patricia Krenwinkel and, and Van Houten. And, yeah. And and so, you know, there I was going from Sharon to one of the killers there, you know. And you met her? You, you yes. spoke to her? Wow. Oh, yes. Wow. She's part of that. And, and, and you know, she, her whole M.O. is this sweet ingenue. And the funny thing is she was... I want to get out of here. I, I was so, I'm so sorry. I, I, you know, I didn't mean to. I didn't want to. Uh, and to go from working with Sharon of course. and questioning uh, Leslie was, you know, such a bizarre uh, leap. On um, in the heat of the night, Norman Jewison introduced you to uh, to somebody who would play a role in your career, Hal Ashby. Oh yeah. And we have to talk a little bit about the landlord. Sure. Oh, oh Bridges. A, a movie I love. Yeah. And Pearl Bailey. Yes. And you're just terrific as Bo Bridges' mother. I know. <laughs> <laughs> she said modestly. I watched well, it. I yes. feel because I don't. I feel that she is like a creation apart from yes. me. Yes. Yeah. You know, and uh, she's my mother and my aunt, actually. Oh. I mean, she's, you know, what I drew from was, uh, you know, as soon as I read it. They uh, wanted Jessica Tandy, didn't they? Yes, yeah. they did. They yeah. wanted Jessica Tandy, and and I I put on a, 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 a blonde fur hat, and, I, and it's the only time I can remember saying I can play older, you oh. know, <laughs> and not younger. Yeah. I put myself under a top light and said, you know, I know this woman. You know, I know her. And, and give me a, a chance to get her out of my system. And, 
Oh, I loved doing that. It's such that. a fun performance. I loved it so. I watched it yesterday, and that scene with you and Pearl Bailey, where, you, where she gets you drunk. Yes. Is, and you show up with the fabric for the, for the, for the drapes. <laughs> it's so, well, it's the just whole thing is so brilliant. Terrific. Yeah. It's such a brilliant More people script. should know about that movie. Yes, it's, it's like the best-kept secret. I made a great movie. I, I uh, directed... My first, the first movie I directed, Tell Me a Riddle, is like, um, what's the name of this one that we're talking about? Oh, uh, The Landlord. The Landlord. It, it's like the best kept secret in the world. And, and I don't know why that is with some genius movies, um, but people don't know it. I know it. Yeah. Mel- Melvin Douglas. The, the tell me a riddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very good. It's very good. We've talked about the landlord on this show. We've talked about Hal Ashby on this show specifically. We've talked who, about uh, Gilbert would, and I. Uh-huh. We t- he's come up. We've talked about being there. We've talked about <gasps> coming home. And being there. Harold and Maud and Harold and Maud. Yeah. I I said I want to play Maud, and he said <laughs> no. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> It was right after the landlord, you know, when we were and we were friends, you know. Tell, tell I us. I read it. I said, "Oh my God, what a part!" Tell us a little bit about him. I mean, he had such a his career burned so brightly. I mean, if you think of, from Harold and Maude and the last detail, one you one you like, Gil. Oh yes, and and, and coming home, and the landlord, and being there, and of course shampoo. What a run! Yes, but bound for glory. But he, um, he he ran into you know that those kind of studio stops. There was something he wanted to make in Texas, and he was making it, and like the movie before hadn't made money, mm-hmm. and so I remember being at Warren's house, um, and and Hal driving up and saying. To Warren, not to me. I, I, you know, I want you to see the last stuff that I've that I've made on this this film. I'm having a lot of trouble, and and you know, I'm having you know, trouble with the studio. And I knew he didn't want me there. I knew that that there was a desperation about what he was involved with at that time that he needed Warren's know-how for, and. And so I drove off, and about two weeks later, he was in the hospital. And it was like from then on, the studio system had changed to a place where they were suffocating Mm -hmm. him Mm -hmm. and his instincts and all the genius that he had. He really was such an original voice. And and he he was like from Idaho, you know? And and he was a smoker, you know, he he had that grass all the time and part of it was part of his vision. I mean, that's why everything that we did was like crooked. You know, You mean shampoo? His, or the landlord. The, well, the, the shampoo was Warren's vision, but mm-hmm. the landlord was mm-hmm. was uh, Hal's vision. You know, and it was such a f- 
funny, different way of looking at life and looking at things. So with Hal Ashby, he didn't belong there anymore. It was like in the new Hollywood. It was that the feeling like he was out, there was no space for him there? Because I, I feel like that's something that you were afraid of all those years, like just not belonging there. Well, you know, for an actor, as you know, I mean, my, my whole philosophy is one for them, one for me. You know, if I work on a film, you know, that has no money attached, that's fine. That's fine if it's something that I like, you know. But another will come along. Like the swarm. <laughs> <laughs> I was saving that till the end, but <laughs> it's right in the book. <laughs> the bees are coming. The bees are coming. <laughs> Uh, and Patty Duke was in that. Now, was Henry oh, Fonda? Yeah. Every, Henry Fonda, too. And, and Olivia Henry, de Havilland, yes. who just turned 100, bless her heart. And, and how did they do the miraculous special effects in that movie? <laughs> <laughs> I never saw the bees. <laughs> <laughs> That's some cast, that but movie. They were oh, poisonous yeah, bees coming from, coming from South Africa. And I was... I was um, like the reporter in the trailer. Right. And I, I got the news first so that I ran out of the trailer and I said to Patty Duke, who was pregnant out to here, the bees are coming, the bees are coming. And the director said, just, you know, try that again. Okay. The bees are coming. <laughs> the bees are coming. <laughs> oh, okay, that was okay. Just take it, take it one more time. The bees are coming. <laughs> the bees are coming. This is better than okay. the film. Okay. <laughs> that's it. That's the one we'll use. You sure you don't want another one? You you don't want it, because I have, you know, more bees are coming in me, you know. Any more bees you want, you know, I can give you. Didn't Michael Caine fall asleep while you were doing the scene with him? (laughs) He fell asleep while the camera was on. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. That's a good one. So he wasn't as afraid of the bees as you were. Who? Uh, Michael Caine. Oh, I yeah. wasn't. I was informing. Oh, yes. Yeah. The townspeople. I was informing oh. the townspeople. <laughs> now, well, you were in another one of those films. You were in Airport 77. Yeah. Another great cast. Yes. Another Jimmy Stewart, cast. Jack Oh, Lemon. my God. Christopher yes. Lee, no less. Yeah. Yeah. You played Christopher Lee's wife. Yes, I did. And that's the one where the plane goes into the ocean. Yeah. That's the right. The Bermuda yeah. Triangle. Yeah. <laughs> not just the ocean. <laughs> this is not an ordinary <laughs> That's ocean. right. Settles at the bottom of the ocean. I actually like that one. Yeah. I hate, I hate, yeah. <laughs> that's Tell the truth. You admit. <laughs> I don't know. What kind of, I don't like the swarm, but that one has its moments. Airport 77. How did Henry Fonda feel about doing the swarm? Honey, you know, all those, all those big names, the Fondas, the Jimmy Stewarts, 
Jack they, Lemon. The Jack Lemons. Yeah. They're put in a control room. They're watching the action. They're the ones to say, how can we save them? How can we save them? <laughs> <laughs> They're not in those planes. Right. They don't have the bees over their head. Right. They're in the control room <clears throat> trying to save the people who are being bitten <laughs> and, the, and the people at the bottom of the ocean. So, Didn't they dump water on you? It's in the, it's, you, you talk about Air, Airport 77 in the well, book. I had a clause uh-huh. written <laughs> into my contract. I'm scared. That, that when the time came to drown... <laughs> Uh, that I would have an understudy, that I would have a stunt person come in and wear my fall and get drowned for me. Okay, good. That, that <laughs> makes sense. That I'm a star. Right. No. <laughs> and certainly they can have somebody sit there and and drown. <laughs> and. Uh, when it came time for the drowning, uh, it was so smug. I felt so proud of myself. Let everybody drown. I'm going to watch from the sidelines. And so I saw these huge things, these vats, vats of water that's bigger than these rooms, you know, set up with water to go on to the, to the people on the plane. And... And so the director said, okay, okay, who's first? And Olivia de Havilland said, oh, me, me, let me be first. And so she climbed down into those seats on the plane, and they let loose with this barrage (laughs) of water hitting her and rising until she was swimming in it. She had to be in her 70s at that point. Yeah. She's 70, 77. Oh, oh, she just turned 100. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> Brave I'm woman. standing there watching her, and she climbs out, and she says, oh, that was really good. That was interesting. <laughs> and then the director says, oh, you don't need to do it, Lee. We have your your uh, understudy to do it. And I said, oh, no, 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 uh, you know, absolutely. He says, no, we have what you asked for, which is, I didn't ask for it. I didn't, I didn't want it. I didn't, I I mean, it's, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy to do it. I mean, I was so shamed by Olivia de Havilland. And so, you know, I climbed down there and they let loose and, so there, you know, there it was, paddling away, <laughs> paddling away on the old airplane. It's in the movie. In the movie. You know, we had big, expensive homes in Malibu and an expensive life. And, you know, I couldn't, you know, say, oh, you know, I'm above doing Airport 77 <laughs> or, or the bees are coming. <laughs> You know, it was always one for them, one for me, sure. one for them, one for me, and um, and the funny thing is that you know most of the, the so-called the fans that I meet on Broadway, I mean they 
they remember the, the ones that I didn't want to do. And they loved them. You know? <laughs> and, and we Not remember the, the Hal Ashby ones. Right, you know? of course. Well, we should also point out that you made a lot of good pictures in the 70s, too, like Plaza Suite and There Was a Crooked oh, Man. Yeah. And- oh, tell us about Walter Matthau. Well, <laughs> Walter Matthau um, married Carol Matthau, who was like my leader in, in all those years. She spoke like this, and she was Gloria Vanderbilt's friend, and and she was wise, and she had a mirror in her hands all the time, so that when she was giving advice to you, she was looking in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> and all the time that I was still blacklisted, uh, she lived across the street from me on West End Avenue, because I've always been an Upper West Sider. And... Walter was simply adored by Carol. I mean, he left whatever wife he had um, and, and entered into this enchanted existence with her. And she'd say things to me like, oh, he mustn't know I shave my legs. <laughs> How strange. He must- he must think they're smooth all the time. <laughs> Still looking in her mirror. And so, you know, Walter and I and Carol became, you know, really close buddies and and um and she set the tone for me. I think I think the reason my house looks the way my house does is because entering Carol's house was like such an enchanted place to be. And it was something that I learned from her. And and so when we got to do Plaza Suite, it was an extension of the relationship that we'd already had. You know, I admired her so much. You guys have such chemistry in that movie. When you're banging on the door, you're trying yes. to tell me, promise you won't get hysterical when you tell them the, the, wedding, the wedding ring broke. Well, you know, we had that long relationship with each other that, you know, just fell, you know, right into, I loved that movie. I loved, I wished that I'd played. It's fun. The, the middle one, too. I loved um, the, the girl who comes to meet the, the the director she has a crush on mm-hmm. too. I I love that. And I think I would have been amazing. Gilbert does a, a pretty good Walter Matthau, I have to say. Yeah. Open the door <laughs> <laughs> Your wedding is starting. Open the door right now. You know how much I'm paying for this wedding ceremony. <laughs> You got it. Oh, you he got went it. into that voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not bad, Gil. <laughs> we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, but first, a word from our sponsor. Now, there were some parts you did say no to, though, I heard. What? Now, I, were you offered, was it Golden Girls or something like that? Yes. Yeah. Oh, you've been doing research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Frank, impressed. Frank's amazed whenever I know anything about any of the people I'm, I'm interviewing. Where's Dara? I'm very impressed. 
Tara's giving me a thumbs up from across the room. Wow, somebody went to the library. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so you said no to Golden Girls. Yes. <laughs> but I, I would have said it at any time. I feel, I felt that I was free. I felt I was free that I had either made or was going to make Tell Me a Riddle, that I was heading in an entirely different direction. I knew it was going to be successful, and that was the last thing I wanted. I did not, and that I was not ever, ever going to be the star that B was the focus. Right. She was the leading lady, no matter what you did. Which part did you turn down? Was it Rue McClanahan's part I or Benny White's remember. part? Okay. I don't remember. Okay. Interesting. I, I don't remember, but I, but I do know that it would have put me in a place where I would have been resentful. Right. Right. Because, you know, at, at least whatever I did, I was the lead in whatever I did or... Or, you know. And then your daughter was in a TV show that I think was a spinoff on Golden Girls. Yeah, Empty Nest. Yeah. What? (laughs) I think it was. Maybe we'll have Darren with that our researcher. What do you mean? But what do you mean? Researcher of the day. What do you mean by a spinoff? A spinoff is like well, like how Maud was a spinoff on All in the Family. They had this character, Maud. They had their next-door neighbors, the Jeffersons. That was, was Empty Nest. It was R- R- Richard Mulligan. Yes. Right. And, and, and Dinah and Chrissy McNichol. Yeah. yeah. How did and, that come from know, Golden Girls? I I'm showing my ignorance. I, I, I don't know either. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll we will look at it. I just that. read it somewhere. Cross that out. Okay. You'd already done a series, I mean, at that point, too. You'd done <laughs> Faye, yeah. which brings us back to the intro, which is why you gave the finger while you were on the Johnny Carson show. <laughs> right. You should explain okay. that since it was All right. <laughs> this I have to hear. <laughs> well, um, I was offered this lead in, in, um, in this, you know, with, with great people, great people directing. Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin yeah, yeah, directing yeah. and and you know great people. You remember Faye, where it was a Lee's short-lived series where she played a divorcee. Oh, on I NBC. Vaguely, yeah, this one's what? What? Look at this. Empty Nest is an American sitcom that aired as the series was created as a spinoff of The Golden Girls by creator Susan Harris. Susan Harris. There you go. Was the one who who? Uh, Thank you, Dara. Who 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 wrote that? I stand corrected. But you know the thing about the thing about Faye was that I loved doing it. What I realized was that I could not do a guest starring role on any of those series because I saw the trouble that people who guest starred on Faye had coming into a going family and to people who were used to working with each other who you develop a shorthand with, the way you do on The View. I mean, this kind of, you know, thing where you know you're coming in to family. And and I'd, I'd see um, actors come in and experienced wonderful actors floundering and so scared and so uptight. And, 
and and so Faye was a very interesting experience for me. And the one time that I um, guest guest starred on um, on um, one of those sitcoms was Dinah's. Right, Empty Nest. Empty Nest. And it was a horrible experience. Oh, I'm sorry. Even, working, <laughs> <laughs> it was, even working with my daughter, who, who you know, it could not be more familiar. It was like I was a stranger in somebody's apartment, and I didn't know the rules and I didn't know where the fork was and the spoon was, and I'd forget my lines. I mean, it, it was, you know, such a lesson to me on being on the other side of the talent place, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, when I was in Faye, I showed up um, one morning, and my furniture was out on the street at the studio. And... Uh, I called Paul, who was one of the producers, and I said, you know, the furniture's out on the street. How, how come? He said, oh, they canceled it. I, well, I'm supposed to be on the Johnny Carson show tonight to sell it, to sell Faye. Mm-hmm. And they canceled it in the middle of the run. And so I thought, as long as I'm here, I'll go to the Johnny Carson show and tell him that I'm not going to be on, and the reason why. And so um, he came out of the studio, and I said, you know, I'm supposed to. I don't know whether you still want me to, because this show is canceled, and uh, and I'm going to be on your show to sell it, and, I, you know, I don't know what to do. And so he put his arm around me, and he says, why don't you come on, come on the show and talk about it. And I was so, oh, it like opened a door for me. I was so sad and, and, and just lost, you know. And I knew that if I drove up to Malibu that I'd go on the side of the road and just, you know, cry my heart out. Because it was, I was left. I was abandoned. And nobody told me. And... Um, and so I did. I went on the show, and I gave the finger to... Uh, the Mad Programmer. You to made the a Mad reference. Programmer. You made a reference to, to the, the NBC Mad executive. Programmer, yeah. And uh, it suddenly Who's became... dead now, by the way? He's, oh, I'm so... That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not okay. I didn't want him to die. <laughs> he, he died at a ripe I old age. I just wanted him to be ashamed of himself. <laughs> Now, you, uh, when your daughter was getting an Emmy or something, she got a Tony. Yeah, so she she was, she was, she was getting the award, and her date, I think that was Bruce Willis. Yes. Yeah. A totally unknown. Yes. No, he was the bartender at uh, one of the really chic places to go to. Bruce was at that time. And then later on. Bruce Willis would fire you? I, how did this, you had to bring that one up, huh? It's not that funny, dear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have that in my cards. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what, what, <laughs> what happened there? Um, 
it was tragic, really. It was tragic for my husband because he had me on his hands. And at that point, my ambition was so driven. Um, you know, the blacklist did something internal to me so that everybody really be better get out of my way. I mean, th those 12 years of you can't do this, you can't do this, and living with somebody who said also you can't do this and you can't do this, and you can't act and you can't do this, gave me some kind of um, drive that verged on, um, I, don't, I don't know the words for it. It's not ambition. It's Obsession? Obsession. It, I, I was obsessed. And, um, and the first day of, of shooting, Joey got you know, all the money together. He got the script. He got Bruce, who had been Dinah's boyfriend for a while. And, and Bruce was just on the cusp of he'd really made it in movies and he was starting to like fall back a little so he could use a good independent film and this was a good independent film. And we shot it in Wilmington, Delaware, which is where Joey is from. Your husband. Yeah. Mm -hmm. on, on Lincoln Street which is the Italian neighborhood, which is where the church is, which is where all his friends are. So he had brought a movie back to Wilmington, Delaware, starring Bruce Willis, and he was producing it. And the first day of shooting, um, I lay in my bed and I couldn't move. And my friend Mary Bess, who was with me at the time, and my sister-in-law, they said, what's the matter? And I said, I can't move. I can't get up. And I called a doctor, and he said it was my thyroid. Thyroid. And the reason that happened, because I just did it to myself again. I've just had, where I stopped taking the Synthroid without realizing that it would affect I mean, it's why I have a little trouble with my speech now. Well, then, I, I probably wasn't taking pills, but I had a thyroid condition where I started to zone out. I just was dizzy and outside the situation. I couldn't handle the situation. I was doing it, but I wasn't doing a good job. And at some point... Bruce just got scared. It was very interesting stuff I was shooting, and it was charming. It's a hockey a hockey story, right? He was a hockey yeah. he was a hockey player. It, 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 was, and a, some, it was a great right, story, right. great script, and 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 I, w I was the one who was n not ahead of. I was behind, and so Bruce walked. He got scared. And what that did to Joey, my husband, I, you know, he, he, he'll never get over 
because he had brought this to the neighborhood and and he was such a big shot and it really it really really hurt him but if he had wanted to bring in another director i wouldn't let him i i really had no idea how driven i was i had no idea until recently really you have a different perspective on it now yeah yeah uh, and only recently did i did i realize all those things that I had to do, all the documentaries that I had to have, that I had to do, that I had to do, that I had to do, to make up for lost time, I guess. Sure. But there was no awareness. I just had the drive and the obsession, and I was so good at it. I was so good at the good things. I want to plug some of those documentaries, too, by the way. Uh, Battered and What Sex Am I and, and a terrific one, Down and Out in America, about homelessness during the Reagan era, which is terrific and won an Oscar, are all available uh, online on Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, on demand. Down and Out in America is terrific and, and unfortunately, still timely. Absolutely. Uh, oh, and, and you, oh, you, uh, I was talking to Frank before about how you found out you were Jewish. Frank oh, yes. told me this story. It's in the book. Yeah. Oh, this is, well, I don't know if it's exactly how you found out you were Jewish, but when you were on, yes, the, on the ship it, yes. with the girl with the ribbon? Yeah. Well, you know, um, my, my mother and father, I was, I guess, six. Six. Oh, I'll have to show you a picture of it because it's, you know, it's, it's me in Paris at six. And, um, and I was on this, you know, great French liner, the Ile de France, and uh, I saw these kids running past me, and they were all these little blonde kids, this girl my age, maybe 10, maybe she was a little older, with this beautiful blonde hair and, and two little brothers, you know, running past her, and, and so I said, oh, wait for me, wait for me, and suddenly the little boy turned and punched me in the stomach. And it was the first time that I felt pain. It was the first time that I could feel myself watching the pain go into my stomach and then be knotted and then start to get my breath back and then breathe. And the pain was so intense that Watching it was more interesting than experiencing it because they were both happening at the same time, and I'd never been in pain before. And so I wanted even more to be friends with the, these children. And the next day, I saw the girl, and she was standing, and the wind was throwing back her blonde hair, and she was wearing this blue satin ribbon. And I said, oh, it said Ile de France on it. And I said, oh, where did you get your ribbon? And she said, they don't give these ribbons to Jews. And so I went down to the stateroom, and I went into my mother, and I said, what's a Jew? And she said, why? And I said, because this girl has a ribbon, and it has the name of the boat on it. And she said that 
Jews shouldn't wear it. And, and the, so the next day I had a ribbon to wear, which I wouldn't wear, because there was something too dark and too mysterious and too scary for me. And um, it was all those things when I was writing the book that were inside me, you know, that you use as an actor, that you don't even know you're using, but that the memories are in some part of your body. Interesting. So you'd held on to that story for all those years and, and until you wrote the memoir, and then you were able to access it. Yes, I accessed everything. Yeah. I, I mean, it was... You make a joke about how you have trouble remembering names and you, <laughs> that it connects to, to the UAC days. Yeah. But in reading yeah. the book, you remember quite a lot. Yes, it's the, it's the names. But the names... The, after my visit to the Un-American Activities Committee, I still had a job to go to. And it was directed by Sidney Lumet. And I remember somebody, a visitor, coming to the set. And it was the first time I said, oh, this is, will you introduce each other? That, that the names were erased from, that's fascinating. from, my, Isn't from it? my head. Oh, yeah. That that's why she, she, she has a I, block I, so I always, wow. names. So I always said that when people met, you know, you introduce yeah. yourselves because... It's gone. Yeah. Sydney and I still have it. I, you know, I have it when we're talking about people. Sidney uh-huh. Lamette is another one of those names that pops up on this podcast a lot. We're big fans. Oh, my goodness. What a, what a genius. You work with so many great directors, with, yeah. Ju- with Norman Jewison, who's still around, I think about to turn 90. Joseph Mankiewicz, Arthur Hiller, who's still with us, Robert Altman, Arthur Penn, Mike Nichols, Weiler, we talked about. That's, that's, a, uh, yeah. that's quite a lineup of yep. names. Yep. Well, okay. what do you want to let this lady get on with her life, yes, Gilbert? I, uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't Pardon? leave. I... <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, her book is Lee Grant. I said yes to everything. And also the Facebook page, Roberta is, Taylor's here. Just Lee Grant on Facebook. Lee Grant on Facebook. And and what's the website? Uh, The website that you can find your stuff through, uh, if you're not going through Vimeo, it's uh, karmicrelease.com. Karmic, with a K, com. And, oh, and I got to tell you something. I got to call bullshit on this. You said you said you spent two hours in a hotel room with Warren Beatty, and all you did was kiss. <laughs> Lee, is, Lee is shrugging since this, there's no video here. <laughs> so... Are you are you saying your 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 meeting with Warren Beatty turned out differently? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was on all fours <laughs> after five minutes. <laughs> He's Warren Beatty. I'm not gonna say no to that. <laughs> so anyway, this has been Gilbert. That's, Gott- that's <laughs> all. That's all I remember. That's all she remembers. <laughs> 
What you want? You want to tell the Dolly Parton thing real, real quick? No. Okay, she doesn't want to tell that. It's in the book. I want to before you before you wrap. I just want to uh, mention a couple of uh, Lee's performances in great films. And Teachers, Defending Your Life, Mulholland Drive, Voyage of the Damned, which are terrific. And and everybody needs to see the Landlord. Yes, absolutely. Everybody needs to see the Landlord. I wanted to squeeze those in. And so this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we have been talking to a woman who says yes to everything <laughs> and yet claims she didn't fuck Warren Beatty. <laughs> I would fuck Warren Beatty. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the great Lee Grant. <laughs> Yay! Lee, this was this was something else. Thank you for, for inviting oh, us into your home you. and being so forthcoming and so open and funny. Well, I just, you know, I love you. <laughs> and we didn't ask about uh, the Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon Queen. Oh my gosh. We'll, sa- oh we'll save it. Gosh. We'll save it. We'll do another one down the road, well, honey, if you're willing. Uh, Peter... Uh, Ustinov. Peter Ustinov. I mean, it's like when you guys came through the elevator door. I mean, <laughs> Peter just, Ustinov. Just like meeting Peter Ustinov. No, I, mean, I mean, how fun, how fun was that? I mean, to be with, with Peter Ustinov for yeah. all those weeks. And Roddy McDowell. And, and, and Roddy, who was, su- you know, such a great friend. And We'll do it again. We'll do another one, and then we'll, to- we'll, we'll, we'll oh, cover everything gosh. we didn't cover, which is a lot. So thank you, Roberta. Thank you, Matt Beckoff. Thank you, Taylor, Eddie Marino, Dara, and, of course, thank you, Lee Grant. <laughs>